SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Good day, Doc. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. We speak again, this time around under very different circumstances. The world we lost spoke in is very different to the one we both find ourselves in now, isn't it? That's without a doubt. And tertiary institutions themselves have to almost reinvent themselves. So the challenges that we're facing at the moment is that there's obviously demands in various avenues for students to complete this academic year. And we have given our full commitment that no student will be left behind and we'll ensure that we complete the academic year, even if it has to run over into the early months, say January or February of next year, but we have to complete this cohort because the consequences are just too dire if we think about all the people that would be in the pipeline and jeopardized into the future. Your colleague in academia, I understand he's quoted as saying that the academic year is as good as lost. That's Jonathan Janssen, whose views are at times quite strong. How would you respond to such a strong statement coming from such an influential figure in tertiary institution space? So Professor Janssen is an, is an esteemed academic, but we must remember that we must base our arguments in fact. So we need 27 weeks to complete the academic year. So even if we start on the 1st of June 2020, we are still able to complete the academic year. You might be aware, and I'm sure as you have been a student, that you even write supplementary exams in January and get your marks in February and institutions start in, in mid Within or late February else, yeah. with the academic year. So it is not all lost. It might be lost from from a really from a systemic discussion and a philosophical discussion around what it is that we do in institutions, the the social cohesion and all of these elements. So will the academic year be impacted? Without a doubt. We can't have long, drawn-out holiday periods and recesses. That certainly is not on the cards for us. But can we have processes such as boot camps and can we have alternative delivery methodologies? And we must remember... E-learning is not an answer for everyone because we cannot tell a rural student who doesn't even have electricity security mm. that their programs are moving online. That just is unrealistic. Absolutely. But what are the mechanisms that we're putting in place to ensure when we say truly no student is going to be left behind, what is it that we're doing meaningfully to engage so that students are able to complete this academic year? Would it make sense? And I'm reading a news headline, and I'm always susceptible. Well, I'm always worried about news reading news headlines. But this is attributed to him, and I haven't seen anything from him that um, disputes that this particular headline saying "scrap school year and pass all learners." How tragic would that be, or how advantageous would that be? So, if we start uh, speaking about the the this, we obviously speaking about primary and secondary education here. Sure. Within that within that context. So I think that if we look at the, the the plan that was released today by the Department of Basic Education, and it's not a formal plan, it's just scenario planning around when they would phase different individuals back into the academic program. Yes. So obviously it's very important from uh, grade 10, 11, 12 that they have sufficient time because they're writing national benchmarked exams, specifically the grade 12 students, and these are the students that then enter universities. Mm -hmm. So when we say just pass everybody, we certainly cannot do that for a grade 9, 10, 11, or 12 student because they're being 
they're being entered into a pipeline. And we can't just blanketly allow people to progress if they're not ready because then we're just setting them up for failure. So on the lower levels, I mean, those are discussions, and I, I certainly cannot speak on, on behalf of the Department of Basic Education. Yes. Uh, but I think that, you know, realistically, we shouldn't be prophets of doom until we actually understand the s- situation that we're faced with. So let's, let's see if, if this really goes past the 1st of June, what are the contingencies, and then we can start having those sort of discussions around whether we should uh, have alternative assessment methodology. You'll see, for example, that UNISA and some of the private providers have already said that they're going to look at alternative assessment methodologies, project-based and so forth. So there's a lot being done, but at the moment we're all sitting in a state of flux, scenario planning, and just seeing, anticipating what, what it is that we're going to do depending on when the lockdown ends and how the academic year progresses. We must remember, students have textbooks. So for students that are in the distance mode, they are used to that methodology, you know, taking their textbook, taking their reader and doing that. But for students that are used to -to face-to-face and contact learning, Mm. we must look at what each of the institutions are doing. So the senates and councils have put processes in place. You'll know that WITS and UP and, and institutions that are historically advantaged mm. have, have made, and UCT, for example, have issued devices to all of these students. And they've, they, you know, they're making plans around data, and you might be aware That's that a real from, endowment, that. Sorry, okay, let me stop there. <laughs> no, 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 I'm saying that is a real endowment. The fact that all of the students, and we were talking about thousands across these universities who have been given not just devices to be able to access the material online, but the data that comes with it. I mean, that just changes the ball game altogether. And which is more, it increases the inequality because you were saying a reality for South Africa is that there are just many students who simply do not have access to online facilities. That, against this measure that you've just recently spoken about, just creates a further chasm. Absolutely. So I must say that uh, University of South Africa, we've been speaking with many of the data service providers. We are in negotiations with them to get zero-rated sites. And um, in terms of the in terms of the zero-rated sites and the zero-rated data, that is obviously extremely important for us. Mm-hmm. As as and and we are far with those negotiations and some of the in, so we need 1.7 billion rand to ensure that all students have physical devices because it's it's unrealistic to say students have smartphones you cannot complete mm. a no, assessment right. from a smartphone so we are in discussions to see how we can raise that 1.7 billion rand and we've already been in communication with various avenues such as uh, NISFAS and many of the corporate role players to see how we can facilitate and assist students in getting these devices. So you'll know all of the UCT students have have devices and it's obviously easier for them to then uh, participate in this. So it, it's, a, it's a very multifaceted uh, discussion that we're having, mm. and we're obviously, trying to, we're obviously trying to then engage with everyone so that, that we are bringing vi- viable solutions to the table, because it's very difficult when we start speaking about solutions and they're mm. not implementable. Mm. So when we look at different categories of students, we cannot leave any of the students out of the discourse. Because when we speak about students in rural areas, we must speak about 
there's a possibility of of a solar laptop or what it is, we must be realistic. Can we put these programs on memory sticks, the the recordings? Can we put, for example, things still on, on, on DVDs? What is it that's going to work within that student community? What is it that, and we mustn't discount the issue of printed, printed, um, printed documentation, like all of us studied. I mean, when we were studying as as, as UNISA students many years ago, we we used to get those readers, we used to get our textbooks, and that is what. And then it evolved to the to the videos, and then the DVDs. So some of these technologies we might have to revisit. Because the world, as you said when we started this discussion, is a very different world from the world that we entered uh, a month ago. Sure. Dr. Linda Meyer is the Director of Operations at Sector Support at University of South Africa. Um, talking about those in the rural spaces, here is a student who is giving us an account of his situation. I stay in deep rural areas where we don't have electricity, and in my understanding, that implies online learning isn't going to work out for me given that I'm at home with the current situation I'm facing. What exactly does that imply for other institutions that are currently beginning with online learning as of the 20th of April? Your response, Doc? So my response is that we're looking for solutions with each institution that is viable. So really, we're going out of our way, as I said, with print media, looking at solar solutions. Online learning is not going to work for anyone. Mm -hmm. E-learning is not going to work for everyone. And we cannot put that as a blanket solution. But where it is possible for institutions that have given devices, where students have electricity security, that is an option for them. But when we return to the academic year, what are we doing in the interim? So are we, are we printing stuff? Are we ma- how are we making that available? How are we distributing that to our students? When we speak about, when we start, when we are able to start migrating back onto campuses for face-to-face contact time, what is it that we're doing? Are we cutting the holidays shorter? Are we running boot camps? Are we ensuring that there is real, when we speak about inequalities, mm. this is not something that's a misnomer. You cannot tell a student that lives in a resident and then has to go to a deep rural area and live in, in, in a shack with eight or ten other people where mm. there's no electricity, that e-learning is going to be a solution for them. Because it's not. But is it a solution for them where we can look just for the interim at possibly sourcing laptops that are, are solar-powered, at, at working? You know, we, we worked on a very uh, uh, a big project with, with um, Audit SA and with Tenet where we've put... Uh, uh, data points and and uh, networking in rural campuses. How do we how do we speak to network providers so that at least where there is cell phone reception that that is is an option. But also we cannot tell students that we're giving them zero rated data. And you know there's always there's always a cost. Nothing is ever free because when you load and you upload and you do these things. Mm. So those are the very technical discussions that we are participating in at the moment. So many solutions, many problems, but we have to, you know, it's it's not just about COVID-19. It's about a different world. And if it's not COVID-19, it's something else. Correct. That that disrupts Correct. the academic year. You must you must think about before we had COVID nineteen mm-hmm. in, in some of the institutions where there was complete disruption, where the academic year had not even started yet mm-hmm. when when this process That's of right. COVID nineteen was implemented. And where students are sitting with their textbooks and, and the reality is they haven't had 
any formal academic exposure. Doc, but also, e-learning is not an option for people that have for to sure. do laboratory work, for example. Absolutely. E-learning is but part of the solution. It certainly isn't Absolutely. the silver bullet for everything. I'm going to ask you this question predicated on the last point that you had raised, which I'd actually described as what would be my next question. I'm going to ask, and it's, it might be hard, but nonetheless, I need you to engage it, please. Have universities then not dropped the ball? Because you mentioned the fact that if it's not COVID, it's something else. And you mentioned the disruptions that have taken place just this year in institutions of higher learning, which wouldn't have happened for the first time. I mean, of course, things were dramatic very different since the days of fees must fall and all of the fallest movements which would have told universities or given them the clear mandate that your ways whatever they are are not adequate for the students of today and you will have to find ways and means to engage academic material whilst still dealing with whatever the challenges that the university itself faces some of them you've touched on but the reality is some of these conversations are going on and one might have thought some of the questions might have been settled by now so it takes a COVID-19 as extreme a measure as COVID-19 is to get the universities to respond to the very different world. But the reality is the world was always going to change and COVID was that catalyst in that change. What serious structural reform to be able to be a little more versatile now are universities engaging themselves with? And I'm talking about universities, South Africa. What are the common discussions now? Not necessarily responding to COVID, but responding to the reality that is faced by institutions of higher learning. That question, please, your response after the news. Five minutes, we'll continue. Dr. Linda Meyer, Director of Operations, Sector Support, Universities, South Africa. On the viewpoint. Linda Meyer, Director of Operations and Sector Support at Universities, South Africa. She's on the line. I have asked her a question. She's going to respond now. Good evening, Doc. Thanks again. Good evening. Okay, so in terms of your question around what is going to drive structural reforms, I think... Be- before from- that, before that, I yeah. said universities... I put it to you, have dropped the ball because some of the questions they are grappling with now, they were given an opportunity before COVID perhaps to get into. And perhaps structurally then, what are those reforms that could have been dealt with earlier, but they are forced to deal with them now because of COVID? So I, I, I think that, you know, we must all own up for what we haven't done. And I always say as South Africans, uh, if we have an assignment due or an exam, we always study the day before we, we do things the day before, before we have to submit it. So now this is a, upon us. And for many organizations, it's not their boards or their CEOs that have driven this digital transformation. It is really the situation that we find ourselves in. So could universities have done more? I'm sure everybody can do more. But the reality is we can no longer sit by idly. We need to get sustainable, systemic, and integrated solutions. So what is it that we're busy with? The first thing we're busy with is obviously, as I mentioned, the zero-rated data. We've been negotiating with all of the service providers. We are busy with a process of trying to secure 1.7 billion rand so that all of our students can get devices. We are busy seeing how we can secure internet stability and alternative delivery methodologies throughout the entire system, including, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. not just digi- digitizing things, but should we re- uh, go back to print? So it's about ensuring that students have accessible processes. So a big thing, as I mentioned, is when we look at our rural students, what is the solutions? And that is the most critical thing. What is the solutions that we bring to them? So when they return to campus, things are much easier for us. 
But when we send our students away, it is it is almost impossible for them to study in environments like that because they do not have even a study space. They're sharing that space with eight or ten other people. Mm. So what is it that we're doing in engaging communities, seeing if there's community halls, if there's libraries? This really cannot be a haphazard approach. We need to start engaging with the critical social issues that we're dealing with in advancing higher education. And we cannot look at an at a, at a elitist approach and think that online learning and e-learning and these things are going to be an immediate solution. We are looking at least at a 36-month process of getting all of these transformational elements in place and getting them funded and bringing corporate sponsors on board. We, we, you know, we appeal to corporate sponsors. To uh, USAF is 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 an is a NGO, as you know. We we are the committee of vice chancellors. So our board is each of the vice chancellors for each of the universities make up universities South Africa. So we're asking corporate South Africa to come to the party. We're looking for the money. We're looking for viable solutions so that we can bring interventions so that all students, poor middle class or, or, or whatever the issue is, mm. that everybody has got a fair opportunity to gain their, 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 uh, complete their studies, gain their degrees, and so that they are able to advance themselves in, in the job market. I've got a very short voice note and my producer tells me it's very important. Please let's listen. Good evening, sir. I am a grade 12 student and I just had a question about the university applications. Are they going to be pushed back the closing dates or are they all still staying the same closing around 31, 31st of May, 31st of June? Yeah. Yeah, Doc. So the important thing is just to, to obviously go onto the website. Some of the institutions have already made allowances and uh, change those dates. We, we, as you know, just something that you that you into the future, which is going to be very important, is we're moving towards a central application database, where when we ch- face these challenges, which is going to be a centrally located under the Department of Higher Education and Training, where these issues will not become a problem. So it won't be a, a, a you know institutions still have they're obviously autonomous and they have the right. To, to have their own admission requirements, but certainly within this difficult period, all mm-hmm. the universities that I have been party to the discussions have seriously evaluated this and, and have made concessions because we're not in, in, in a normal academic year cycle. So most of them are making provisions for later date applications. Excellent, excellent. I've got one question and you've got 30 seconds to reply, please. There can never be the replacement, total replacement of the classroom environment simply because of the social aspects attached to that, as well as the university campus life itself. It has got great social benefits long after one has graduated for the students. How best then can you just give those students who are listening to this that all is not lost? I think that all is definitely not lost. But what is very important is that all of us need to practice self-discipline at this time. We need to have schedules. We need to engage with the content, our textbooks. Make time. If, if, you, if you are able to access Zoom, please do that with your classmates. Ten seconds, Prof. Try and, try and make the best you can out of the available resources that you have. Fantastic. Dr. Linda Mayer, always good chatting to you. We would most welcome you again sometime soon. Thank you.